I won't be reading the scripture at the beginning of the message like I usually do today, but rather we'll be narrating this passage of scripture throughout the message, and there will be some images on the screen that might help us to picture what it may have been like during that time where Jesus walked along the shores of the Lake Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee and called those fishermen to be disciples. Would you join me as we pray together? May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And the people said, Amen. If I were to ask you to pinpoint the Holy Land, you may respond with answers such as, well, Pastor Bob, that's where Jesus was brought up and where he lived and where he taught, or that's where all the events of the Bible took place. We know where the Holy Land is. Or you might say, the Mediterranean is to the left, to the west, Jordan to the east, Syria to the north, and Sinai to the south. That's the Holy Land, Pastor Bob, and you'd be very accurate. But I would like to get us thinking along the terms that geographic places are not in in of themselves holy. Buildings like this, although beautiful and reverent, sacred, are not in of themselves holy, but rather it is what God does in those places that makes them holy. It's what Jesus said and did that set them apart as sacred ground, holy places. One writer states, it's not the cities of Jericho or Jerusalem or Capernaum or Bethsaida or the Jordan River or the Sea of Galilee. It's what Jesus said and did in those places that makes them so holy. I'm of the belief that wherever Jesus is at work, well, that's holy land. That's sacred ground. For example, we have some longtime friends who have a condo down at Smith Mountain Lake a few hours from here. Years ago, before Isabella was born, she's 14 now, they invited us, yes, I'm getting old, yes, and they invited us to go down to their condo for the weekend, and on Sunday morning, they took us to Boat Church. Some of you are nodding your heads, you know what Boat Church is, but at the time, we had no idea what Boat Church was. Well, they took us out on a nice ride in the boat that Sunday morning, and then we arrived in that little area where there's a chapel alongside the bank and dropped anchor along with a lot of other boaters and sat and listened to worship and the sermon delivered by the pastor of the Sandy Level Baptist Church. Apparently, they've been doing this for some 35 years. There was genuine fellowship there on the lake with all the folks who are regulars, And then there were people like us who visiting every now and again. You know it's got to be Baptist when they collect an offering from people in their boats. And they do that by a long pole with a fishnet on the end of it. Nonetheless, 
people are able to hear the message and to experience Jesus in a very comfortable, casual atmosphere, some people may not otherwise hear the message of Jesus had it not been for boat church on the shores of Smith Mountain Lake. I believe that's a holy place. A number of our members frequent that lake. Many have places there or have retired there. Not long after I arrived as your pastor, the joke was that there are so many HRBC members who have moved to Smith Mountain Lake that we could start a satellite campus there. And we thank a few of them for sharing some of these slides of Boat Church with us today. The gospel lesson for today took place along the banks of a body of water, at a fishing village in Galilee. I'm not sure they took the collection that morning in a fishnet, but if you read the story, there were indeed some tremendous sacrifices made. Several people completely sold out to God and left everything behind to follow Jesus. So let's listen and see what happened. One day, Jesus stopped by the shore of the Sea of Galilee. In Luke's Gospel, he refers to it as the Lake of Gennesaret. In John, it's the Tiberian Sea. But Jesus comes along the shores of this body of water, and Jesus had boat church. But unlike Smith Mountain Lake, the congregation was on the shore, and Jesus was in the boat. There were so many pre people pressing around Jesus to hear his teaching and preaching, to hear a word from God that he had to improvise. There were two boats there along the bank, and he decided to step into one of them. And in so doing, he asked Simon, we know him as Simon Peter, to put out a little bit from the shore. And this created somewhat of an amphitheater for Jesus so that he might be able to address the people and that they might hear the words that he said. The water and the wind enabled his voice to project and all of those who were gathered were able to hear it much better than if he were to stay on the, on the land. But what happened here is much more than a lesson in homiletics, much more than learning to project one's voice in the appropriate way so that people who are gathered can hear. This was no TED talk or motivational speech or lesson in public speaking. Rather, commentators point out that this was a time when God spoke. Commentators say that this is the first time in Luke's gospel that we read the phrase logon to theu in the Greek. Logon to theo means the word of God. This was the first time in Luke's gospel that we read the phrase, the word of God. People were gathered to hear the word of God. Here we have every indication that what came out of Jesus' mouth were not merely his own words, but nothing less than the very word of God. By this time, Jesus had a reputation. He had a following. Crowds followed him like young children who are trying to get an autograph from LeBron or Tiger. I imagine there were some people at the UVA Duke game trying to get LeBron's autograph last night. 
These people were hungry from a word from the one who is the anointed one, the Christ. And the people listened intently to the word of God. And now it was Simon who responded first. Simon was a simple fisherman. And Bible scholar Dr. Ray Vanderland writes this about what it was like to be a fisherman in Simon's day. The job of a fisherman in Jesus' day was difficult. Fishermen worked year-round in the heat of summer and in the cold of winter, often at nighttime. Jesus' choice of Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee as his home, or the central office, if you will, of his ministry, brought him into contact with many fishermen. Several of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter, James, and John, knew the trade very well. It's possible that Jesus selected fishermen as his disciples not only because the imagery of their occupation fit well with the mission he had called them to, but also because they were a hardy group of people accustomed to difficult work and long hours. Jesus even asked them to return to lake and fish again after a night of fishing where they had not had a catch. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, this is in verse 4, put out into deep water, let down your nets for a catch. So Jesus had been pressed in by the crowds, and then he got into the boat and said, Simon, put it out a little farther. So Simon did, and Jesus, Jesus taught and proclaimed God's word, and the people heard it. And after all of that, when his, uh, if you will, message was finished, then he says to Simon, let's put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon's response would be much like my response, perhaps like your response. Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught a thing. You should stick to the carpentry business and let us stick to fishing. You do what you do well and let us do what we do well, and everything will go just fine. But that's not what happened. Simon says, Master, we've heard, worked hard all night and haven't caught a thing. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. That is a lesson to me. How often do I tell God, God, I have worked really hard on this. Our team has spent months preparing this proposal. The church has spent a year and a half discussing this thing. We know what we're supposed to do. After all, who do you think we are? We worked hard all night long. Yes, we haven't caught anything, but we're, we're doing okay. We're, we're making it. That's how I would respond. But Simon says, but because you say so, we'll do it. Have you ever thought of it in that way? This was refreshing to me as I was studying this passage. I don't know that I'd ever seen it like that before. Simon, an experienced fisherman, tired as he was, tried to be polite in his answer, this to the son of a carpenter, you know, Master, we've been out the whole night and caught nothing. He was probably thinking to himself, this guy doesn't realize that no one goes deep sea fishing during the 
broad daylight around here. But Simon, who had failed to accomplish much on his own, tried and true methods, was in no position to question the Lord's strange suggestion. What he says is, I believe, the sentence that will change the entire course of his life. Perhaps he said it with a sigh of resignation, a a tone of resignation in his voice, something like, if you say so, we'll do it. If you say so. Well, you know what happened when they had done so, when they had gone out to the deep and cast their nets. They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. The very nets that they had been mending after their night voyage were beginning to break because there were so many fish. So they signaled their partners in the other boat. They worked together to help them. And both boats became so full that they began to take on water and to sink. A side note, sometimes fishermen would use a cast net and throw it over from the side of the boat and pull in their fish and empty them out on their boat. Others, they would use what's called a trammel net, which is sort of like creating a, a a, a big net wall in the water, two, sh- two boats at the same time uh, going around, and these nets had weights on the bottom and big floats at the top, and when they circled them, it became like a big, giant fish net, and then they would cast nets from the boat in the middle and bring in all of those fish. So that gives you a visual of what it was like and how hard the job was. And then trying to get all of those fish untangled from the nets and repairing them and mending them and all these things. So they had to get the other boat to help them. And both boats were so full that they started taking on water. And when Simon saw all of this happening, he fell at the knees of Jesus and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Simon recognized that he was in the presence of of the divine. He recognized that he was in the presence of one who was holy. He felt unworthy in the presence of the Lord, and he was in good company. How often have you and I felt so unworthy when we are in God's presence? And yet we need to be reminded that it is God who says, you are worthy. We feel unworthy, but God says, you are worthy. I made you in my image. I love you. You are a child of God. Simon was in good company of people like Moses, whom God called Moses to be the leader who would deliver the the Israelites from the Egyptians, hearing these words, So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? Who am I that I would go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? A loose translation, I am so unworthy. I can't even speak well. How am I supposed to accomplish this task? Or Isaiah, whom in chapter 6 had an encounter with the holy in the temple, and he said, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. 
And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He felt so unworthy of his calling, yet he said, Lord, here am I. Send me. If you want me to do it, I'll do it. Or Saul, who had a conversion experience on the Damascus Road and was named Paul and ended up writing over half of the New Testament. He was giving his testimony to the Corinthian church and in chapter 15, in the ninth verse, he said, For I am the least of the apostles, and I do not deserve, I do not even to deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Yet God called him and so many people were changed and transformed. And could you imagine what the church would have been like had it not been for Paul and his missionary journeys? He felt so unworthy. But he said, but if you want me to do it, I'll do it. Whether it's our own sense of unworthiness in the presence of the divine, or our past and present sin, or our feeling poorly equipped to do the work of the gospel, it all begins when Jesus comes to us in the middle of our lives, where we work, where we live, the seaside, the classroom, the hospital, the office, the home, and God asks us to trust him enough to do one strange little thing like fishing in deep water in broad daylight. If you want me to do it, I'll do it. God's word to us to do something seems a little weird outside of our comfort zone, but that's where Jesus' call often comes to us, where we least expect it. I'll always remember when Melanie and I were first married and we had been attending the First Baptist Church of Orangeburg, South Carolina, where my job had taken us. And after we joined the church, not long after, our student pastor contacted us and asked if she could come over and pay us a visit. Cheryl Wooten was her name. And in that conversation, Cheryl asked Melanie and me if we would be willing to teach the 7th and 8th grade Sunday school. I had never taught Sunday school ever before. Melanie had grown up, her mom was on staff at, at the church where she grew up, but I had never taught Sunday school. So we said, well, we'll give it a shot. We'll visit the class. Aaron, when you have somebody who's visiting the class, they're in, right? And we uh, ended up not teaching 7th and 8th grade, but after she invited us to do that, one of the teachers in the 11th and 12th grade class um, had a change in their life, and there was an opening. And Cheryl said, you know, I think that you'd be much better with our juniors and seniors. And that's where we ended up teaching for four years, and it was through that teaching experience and some other ways that God was at work in our lives and in our church that we felt a call to ministry and surrendered to God's call to come to Richmond, Virginia to attend seminary. And our students in our Sunday school class, some of whom lived in our neighborhood, came over and helped us pack our moving van and wrote messages of hope and encouragement on all of the cardboard boxes. And we still have a few of those boxes that have made it to this day. Sometimes God is going to ask you something to do something and you think you can't do it. You have no idea how you're going to succeed 
But all God is asking you to do is saying, Lord, if you say so, I'll do it. Jesus does not typically walk into our lives where we feel totally in control, where we are comfortable in our own successes. Now, yes, God does not desire for us to be prideful in in that way, but I'm suggesting that for most of us, it's often in our places of most vulnerability and confusion, failure and sin, where God comes in to do what God does. He likes to get us out there into the deep water in broad daylight where we can say, okay, if you say so, I'll do it. We we obey him even though we don't fully understand his plan. Simon obeyed him even though he didn't fully understand his plan. Simon and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. That was a miracle. It was in the Bible... It was like when the water obeyed Jesus and became wine or the storm obeyed Jesus and became still. Here the fish even obeyed Jesus and came into this big net. Simon and his companions were so astonished at this catch of fish they had taken along with James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. He said to them, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And that's it. You're going to fish for people. You're going to take the skills that you have learned as fishermen, and you're going to come along this journey with me, and we're going to change the world. You're going to help me reach people, to reconcile people to God and to one another. You're going to do the evangelistic work of the church. So they pulled their their nets up from their boats, pulled the boats up on the shore, and they left everything to follow Jesus. If you say so, we'll do it. We're in. These early disciples were not drafted to follow Jesus. They were not going through a lottery where their number got called like my dad did back during the 60s when his draft number was called and he served in the army for two years. They were not forced to follow Jesus. They were not manipulated to follow Jesus. They were not made feel so guilty that they needed to follow Jesus. They simply heard with their ears and saw with their eyes the one who spoke truth in love, and the one who accepted them just as they were, and they volunteered to follow him. They raised their hands and they said, Lord, here am I, send me. I wonder what ministry would look like in churches across our land if when the call from our teams who are looking for people to step up and serve, what would it look like if people raised their hand and they said, you know, I'm not real comfortable with that. I'm not sure that I know how to do it exactly. But because God has said so, I'll do it. I'll serve. What would our churches look like 
Sometimes people say 20% of the people do 80% of the work. What would it look like if that number went up to 40% of the people doing 80% of the work and then increasing a little bit more? You never get 100%. You, you never get that because of varying things. But what would it look like in the church if more and more people caught wind of this and said, Lord, here am I. I don't know how to do it, but because you say so, sign me up. I'll do my very best with your help. These disciples volunteered to follow Jesus. The word volunteer comes from a Latin word voluntarius, which means a person who chooses freely to do something or to offer to do something. Here am I, send me of my own free will. The root means to use the power of one's will to volunteer to follow Jesus as Lord, here am I, send me. And they gave up their boats, and they gave up their nets, and they gave up that big, ginormous catch of fish that was their livelihood. And they followed him. God is looking for volunteers. But not just volunteers. God's looking for people who are willing to serve and to say, Lord, because you say so, I'll do it. What's God calling you to do? How is God calling you to serve at Huguenot Road Baptist Church? There are a lot of opportunities. And you might say, well, how do I know what they are? Our member development and mobilizational team is always working to make opportunities available. Our staff are happy to talk with you about some of the different ways that you can be involved and serve. Pray about how you would use your special gifts and abilities and talents to serve for the greater kingdom of God, to reach the people in Chesterfield County, Richmond, Virginia, the Commonwealth of Virginia, and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, thank you so very much for your word. Thank you so very much for this example that we have in Scripture of this call of these early disciples. And thank you that you are the God of grace who gives all that we need that we might do the work you've called us to. Lord, you don't call us to an assignment and then not provide the resources to carry it out. So help us, Lord, to trust you, to trust you enough to say, I don't understand it all, but because you say so, I'll do it. Working harder isn't the answer, but your grace gives us all we need. Help us, Lord, to go out into those deeper waters, to cast our nets, during the middle of the day and to leave everything else to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.